Good morning and welcome. Thank you so much for gathering with us this morning as we've come together to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. We are thankful that you have made time to be with us. Um, I, uh, just a couple of housekeeping things. If you look around, it's, uh, it's kind of full. We know that. Uh, uh, Easter is around the corner when it's going to be really full. We're going to actually create some overflow uh, space, so I uh, just don't want you to be fretting about that. Also, just a, a reminder for those of you that, uh, especially those of you who get here in the morning for Life Group and can, a couple of you, uh, ten of you maybe, six, eight, whatever, if, you, if your body will allow you to park around back and enter in the back way, that helps us a lot. I looked out again this morning, we got people parking along the road, so um, just help us to make some space, obviously. For those of you that have mobility issues, please use our parking lot. Uh, there's plenty of space there. For you, uh, a couple other things. Just make sure you're paying attention to our website. We're going through some pretty uh, significant changes there in coming weeks and months. Uh, one of the things that's already happened is our missions page is uh, very different, and there you're going to find out about all the mission things that are coming up. There's even links on there where you can um, you can click straight through to financially support particular mission projects within the church. Um, and things of that nature. So I would encourage you. So there's, we've got a couple young people that are going to Japan this summer. So that's there. Uh, we've got a, a mission trip that's going to be, <coughs> excuse me, going to uh, Shelby, North Carolina. Hopefully there's going to be one going to Latvia. Several other things. And as, as those things come up, we're going to utilize that page hopefully more than we have in the past. Um, just as, as there's more and more of y'all, we've got to create ways to communicate with all of you. So those are our efforts. All right. We're in the book of Acts, chapter 4. The book of Acts, chapter 4, we're going to read verses 5 through 12. I should have told you that before I started talking, shouldn't I? My bad, sorry. All right, hopefully you found it. Please stand with me in honor of God's word. Here now, for this is the word of the Lord. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the, in the midst, they inquired, by what power, by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what it means... This man has been, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Let's pray together. Father God, I pray that you would work among us in the power and name of Jesus Christ. That it would be enough. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. This morning I ask you, are you prepared? Are you prepared? In 2008, Rahm Emanuel was made infamous when as... President Obama's chief of staff in the middle of the financial crisis, he said, you never want a serious crisis to go to waste. I mean, it's an opportunity to do things that you think you could not do before. Now, many of you remember that as expected. President Obama's political opponents dogpiled on those comments. But do you understand that Rahm Emanuel was right? He was right. Crises are not, or excuse me, crises are always bad, 
But if we're intentional, even a terrible crisis can result in some good things, some changes that wouldn't have been possible otherwise. In the right hands and with the right attitude, a crisis can actually become an opportunity. And in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John found themselves in the middle of a crisis. They were in a crisis because they'd been arrested and they were put on trial. And yet in the middle of this crisis, Peter and John create an opportunity to share the gospel. They didn't waste their crisis. Instead, they used their crisis to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And so I ask you this morning, are you prepared? Are you prepared this morning to not waste the crises in your life as they arrive? Are you prepared for when that crisis comes to be able to proclaim the good news of Jesus, to speak life and hope and healing into those dark times? This morning, I want to point out three things in, these ver- in this verse before we make it all the way to a conclusion, and I hope it will be good for all of us. The first thing I want us to see this morning is that crisis brings clarity. Crisis brings clarity. In times of comfort and prosperity, we often operate our lives without great focus or intentionality. How many of y'all can, can attest to that? When there's, when there's money in the bank account and everything's kind of comfortable, you don't pay attention to a whole lot. All of a sudden, you know, gas prices jump to $4 a gallon and everybody's wanting to know where all of their dollars are headed. All of a sudden, those budgets begin to matter. We're a little bit more concerned. But when, when in the midst of those crises, we get a clarity about the things that actually matter. We begin to understand what doesn't matter. I read an article this week that Alan Greenspan um, looks at several indexes to try and determine whether or not he believes that there is a, a recession on the way. And one of the things that Alan Greenspan looks at is men's underwear. Right? So Alan Greenspan says this. He says, hey, when money starts getting tight, people are not interested in spending money on things that nobody else is going to see. Right? It brings clarity about where we're going to spend our money. That's what a crisis does. Maybe that wasn't the best illustration. Some of y'all are looking at me bad. Right? Let's just forget that one happened and we'll move on, okay? Trust me. It was really good in my notes. Really good. Um, <laughs> which brings me to my next one. It's always interesting how things go wrong. <laughs> All right. It's, it's interesting how when everything goes wrong, you discover the things that really matter. Isn't that right? When everything goes wrong, we, we have a way of discovering the things that really matter. In December 20, um, many of us came through a time of COVID realizing what matters most in our lives, didn't we? Uh, in December 2020, we'd had another one of those COVID spikes. And as a result, there was a whole lot of those normal Christmas things that just didn't happen. Um, and, you know, our home is usually filled with people coming through for all the different Christmas things. And usually somewhere around about December the 15th, I, Angela and I find like three minutes to sit down on the couch and we look at each other and we ask this kind of question. We say, is it, does it really matter? Is it important? Should we do all of these things? That year as we were sitting there staring at each other for lots and lots of time, we said, you know what? It is worth it. It's, it's worth all the, the, the mess and all the struggle and challenge We recognized the things that really mattered. We were less busy, but we were less fulfilled. The crisis, miniature crisis there, brought clarity about the things that we really valued around the holiday season. But of course, there are even greater challenges. Many European countries have been far more conservative about COVID, for instance, than we have. They've continued to wrestle with the idea of lockdowns and all these other things, uh, uh, really all the way up until about the last month and a half. An incredible thing happened when Putin invaded Ukraine. 
COVID practically died in Europe, right? And, and, and that, that happened for this reason. It happened because that crisis was superseded by a much greater crisis. And, and, and this is what happened in that context. A, a, a real existential threat to life invaded. Peace was fractured. The false belief that we can live in absolute peace and security was sort of exploded. And this desire or this thought or this effort to live without any stress in our life sort of went away. And all of a sudden we said, you know what? Everything brings some degree of danger. We're not going to have to be able, we don't have time anymore to worry about what's happening with COVID because we've got seven and a half million refugees running away from an evil dictator and we've got to make space for them. The crisis brought clarity about what actually mattered. World War II, um, when there was great fear in London that when Hitler finally, when, 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 when the Nazis finally arrived and began bombing London, that the Londoners would not react. They were still living under the terror of all that had taken place in World War I. Right? There, there, were, there was great mental health crises that were going, and they were afraid... Leaders were afraid that when the bombing raids began, that the people, they would not be able to manage the mental health crisis that would come. But here's what happened. When buildings started blowing up, people started walking out of mental health wards and started entering the battle. The crisis brought clarity. They realized that something else had grabbed their attention. When John and Peter were arrested, they were very clear about what mattered. They got very clear about what mattered. I had a conversation with a guy one time. He said, you know, inside that jail cell, all of a sudden I realized what mattered in my life. I, 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 spent, I spent a night in that jail cell and real quickly I realized what mattered. I knew what might be awaiting me depending on how a trial went and really quickly I realized what mattered. And then he sat down with me and said, can you help me? Folks, sometimes we got to find ourselves at rock bottom before we look up and that's because the crisis strips away all the other things and helps us to have a laser sharp focus on the things that absolutely matter. When Peter and John were arrested, they became very clear. What mattered most in that moment was not that they would be set free. What mattered most was the proclamation of the gospel. Do you know that they were not primarily interested in winning an argument or in winning their release? They were primarily interested in communicating the good news of Jesus Christ. Now let's not miss this. Peter and John were being examined by a lot of people that at least socially and economically and everything else were well beyond them. Remember, Acts chapter 4 verse 5, on the next day the rulers and the elders and scribes gathered together. These are three different distinct groups of people. Rulers and elders and scribes gathered together. Along with them came Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all, were of, all who were of the high priestly family. All these people were there. And here's Peter and John, the fishermen, right? Here they are, fishermen that have become uh, traveling itinerant preachers. All of the upper class is looking down at the lower class. And they begin the interrogation process. Notice what Peter does to begin with. He says, hey, you idiots. No, he doesn't do that, does he? He says, rulers of the people and elders. 
Listen, he knows what he wants to do. Peter is a fighter. Do you know that? Remember, this is the same guy that pulls the sword, cuts the guy's ear off. And yet, in this particular situation, the crisis brings clarity for him. Peter is not interested in fighting with these men. He gives them respect and honor, rulers and elders. Why have we come here today? Y'all, when things get bad in our life, we tend to see the things that matter. The other people around you, when things get bad in their lives, they tend to have a laser-sharp focus for things that have eternal value. Are you prepared for when the crisis comes in your own life to be able to focus on the things that matter? Are you prepared for when the crisis comes in the lives of others to be able to direct them in the direction of the things that absolutely matter? Crisis brings clarity, number one. The second thing we got to see this morning is that we've got to always be prepared. See, the crisis brought clarity for the apostles, and it can bring clarity in our own life, but if we're not prepared for what comes on the other side, then how much good does it do for us? Our memory verse today, actually, let's start here. You know, there's a few things I get called upon to do pretty regularly, right? I get called to pray. If, if y'all invite me over for a meal, most of y'all ask me to pray. And even if y'all don't, like if I'm somewhere, like extended family, I, I love this one. He's the preacher. Get him to pray. People expect me to be able to pray. I got that. That's fine. I don't mind. I love to pray. That's not a problem. But I get called upon to pray, and I get called upon to pick up heavy things. When people are moving, they tend to call me, right? They say things like, hey, you're dumb enough to enjoy picking heavy things up for fun. I need you to come pick up heavy things for me. All right, there's a couple other guys in the church that get that call. They get that, hey, come pick up heavy things for me. Why? Because there's a belief that I've done some things in my life to prepare me to do a couple of things well. Praying and picking up heavy things, right? See, it's all a matter of preparation. That's why I get that phone call. Our memory verse this week is the same memory verse that we used back in February, but we're going to do it all over again this week. It's 1 Peter 3.15. It says, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Peter and John were prepared. Peter and John were prepared. Peter and John resisted the opportunity to engage in an argument. They turned the conversation toward Jesus. But how were they able to do that? They were ready for that opportunity when it arrived. Folks, are you ready for the opportunity when, it, when they present themselves? Are you prepared in those moments? Sometimes our opportunities turn into arguments. But oftentimes our opportunities turn into arguments because of our lack of preparation. Often our volume level in a conversation is proportional to our preparation for that conversation. How many of y'all know that? Right? Maybe I should have said it has an inverse relationship to our preparation. In other words, the less prepared we are for a conversation, often the louder we get in the conversation. The less prepared we are for a conversation, the more confrontational we become in a conversation. Because our lack of preparation puts us on the wrong end of the conversation and we don't want to lose. And so our effort to win comes about with what? With volume. Or worse, with insults. Isn't it interesting that Peter and John were able to engage in this conversation respectfully? That they were able to honor Peter, what Peter's going to write about in 1 Peter 3.15 later, that they were to do this with gentleness and respect. Sometimes our comfort level in a conversation is proportional to our preparation. 
Little League Baseball is in full swing right now. And uh, a, lot, lot, a, lot of kid, a lot of our kids are playing. A lot of our parents are coaching. Um, a lot of us parents are looking at it and going, wow, we just started. It seems like we've been doing this forever. Right now, there's really bad baseball being played all across Little League fields across the country, okay? Um, all right. Uh, but five or six weeks from now, that, that baseball is going to look a lot better because these kids have got to see a lot of pitches. They've got to have a lot of practice. They've got to have a lot of reps. Over the course of a few weeks, they're going to understand how the games are to flow. They're going to learn to field a ground ball. They're going to learn to, well, some of them will learn to hit. I never did. But some kids, hopefully, will figure that out. You see, we're going to see much better baseball because of the repetitions that are going to happen. How we prepare ourselves to share the gospel or to offer counsel to others involves that kind of repetition. How are you preparing yourself to share the gospel with others or to offer gospel counsel? We do it by learning Tools to help us share the gospel, like the three circles that I mentioned last week in my sermon and that many of you went through in your life groups this morning. That with those tools that help us to memorize scripture, that it, it helps us to work our way into gospel proclamation and to sharing the gospel with others. Sometimes we just need a tool that, that we can wrap our hands around that helps us to do it. But in addition to that, as we bathe ourselves in the Word, as we spend time living according to the Word and wrestling with the Word, we grow more comfortable and better prepared to share that Word with others. See, we get those reps. We get that opportunity to sort of live in the Word. So that it's not just something that we know, it's something that we do. I was thinking about the difference yesterday between a knowledge and a skill set. There's, there's a difference there. Um, I grew up with a dad that was, was a, a, a mechanic for about 20 years. Um, over time, I, I learned, I probably can't do it today, I, maybe I can't, I, I probably have pretty close to the knowledge set necessary to, to rebuild an engine still to this day. Um, I can probably do that. I can make, put the bolts where they go and take the ones out and do all the things I'm supposed to do. Here's what I don't have. I don't have the skill set that goes along with that. You see, there's a knowledge, and the knowledge is I know where the things are supposed to go. The skill set is that when I've done it long enough, I can tell when something is wrong. Right? Something just doesn't feel right or smell right or sound right. With the skill set, I'm able to make a tweak or an adjustment. How many of you have looked at a situation and you said, I know it's wrong, but I can't figure out how to make it right? This is why we value those doctors who have had so much experience Anytime, we can all tell when something's wrong. We need somebody that can look at all of our symptoms and tell us how to get right. Folks, so much of our preparation, not only for walking in the gospel, but for helping others to walk in the gospel, comes about as a result of not just a knowledge base, but a skill set of us regularly working with the Word, living in the Word, consuming the Word, allowing it to work its way out into ourselves. We want to get into a situation where when people cut us open, the Bible just kind of falls out. That's what this preparation would look like. We're going to see later that Peter and John are going to, people are going to say, Peter and John, what? Man, they've been with Jesus. They could tell. Peter and John's preparation had come about as a result of sitting at the feet of Jesus. And they were ready when the opportunity presented itself. They were ready. 
He said, hey, you want to know why we're here? This is why we're here. We're here to tell you about not the man that we healed. We're telling you about the man that did the healing of the man. That's important. Peter and John had the wherewithal, the, 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 the knowledge base, the skill set necessary. That when they gathered around, they said, hey, why are you here? They said, whoa, 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 let's not focus on this thing. You just want to talk about the man that was healed. But what really matters is how it was that this man got healed. And that man is Jesus. And there's hope. Folks, are you prepared? What are you doing to get ready? How are you preparing yourself to follow the Lord? Number, uh, so, And then thirdly this morning... Don't miss the gospel. So don't waste a crisis. Crisis brings clarity. Always be prepared. And then don't miss the gospel. I urge you, don't miss the gospel. I'm going to say it again. Don't miss the gospel. Third time, don't miss the gospel. Crisis can bring clarity, but it's also possible in the midst of a crisis, we can be so focused on stopping the bleeding that we miss that gospel proclamation. Right? We can get so focused on meeting the immediate need that we miss the gospel proclamation. We can get so focused on winning an argument that we miss the gospel proclamation. We feed the hungry, we solve the problem, but then we look back and we can't remember whether or not the gospel was an explicit part of what we were doing. How many of you have ever driven home? Pull in the driveway, turn the car off, and then you stop and you, you don't remember the drive home. Right? We've done that before. Sometimes we just get into that level of muscle memory, right? And, and, and you, you, you're, you're completely zoned out and you get home and you go. And it's kind of scary in those moments, isn't it? You're like, man, how, how did I know that I did it, right? I, I just left work. It wasn't like I was drinking or something. I wasn't doing anything wrong. But what in the world was going on? How do we get there? Sometimes we work ourselves back through a ministry opportunity, a gospel conversation, and then we go, oh my goodness, I just spent an hour with that guy, and we never made it to Jesus. We never got to the gospel. Peter didn't miss the gospel. Peter didn't miss the gospel. He engaged in an apologetic encounter, but he did not neglect to proclaim the gospel in that moment. He left no doubt. Listen, First, or excuse me, Acts 4, 11 through 12. Watch. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders. So Peter gets really personal right here. He said, you did this. You have sinned, all right? Which has become the cornerstone, verse 12, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. He left no doubt about what it was that he had come there to do. We must never shy away from proclaiming the exclusivity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But even as you do, remember Peter's words, do it with gentleness and respect. Folks, there is a way for us to proclaim the gospel convictionally and confidently without being argumentative jerks. It is actually possible. We have to remember that Jesus urged us 
to be humble and meek and kind. And that includes gospel proclamation. That includes apologetic encounters. We don't get to say that all those things matter except for in this particular situation. When I'm preaching the gospel, then I can be as arrogant as I want to be. What if Peter and John had said, listen, you morons, I've come here to tell you about Jesus. They didn't do that. There was still a humility. There was still a humbleness, a meekness in them as they said, rulers and leaders. If you're asking us about this man that was healed, let us shift the conversation and talk to you about this Jesus who accomplished these things. Folks, proclaiming the gospel with confidence doesn't require arrogance or pride. We speak the truth of the gospel, watch, because we trust Jesus. Here's the truth. The more that we fall into Christ, the more challenging it is for us to be arrogant and prideful. Because it is Jesus who saved us. Do you understand that? What we are doing is leaning on him. And as we lean on him, as we trust him for all of our hope, when we are proclaiming that truth to others, we do it this way. Let me tell you about the God who gave me everything. Folks, when it's all been given to you and you didn't deserve it, it's pretty difficult for you to be prideful and arrogant about that. We should be Filled with awe and gratitude and grace. But we must proclaim the gospel. Do you understand that? It is not arrogant to say that Jesus Christ is the only name given under heaven whereby men must be saved. That is truth. It is hope. It is life. It is grace. What keeps us from being there? How do we miss it? Folks, we miss it because we get all up in our emotions. We get all up in our feels, right? We, we, we miss it because we've not taken the time to carefully think through what these encounters are going to look like. We miss it because we're convinced that it's never going to happen to us. Why, why do people not get prepared for emergencies? They don't prepare for emergencies because they really don't believe they're ever going to experience these things, right? You know, so, so you, don't, you don't have all the things that you need because deep down you just don't think it's ever going to happen to you. Sometimes you don't have all the gospel preparation you need because you just deep down don't believe you're going to find yourself in a situation where you're going to have to or have the opportunity to proclaim the gospel to other people. But folks, we've got to walk through life with an expectation that we're going to encounter others. Not only walk through life with that expectation, but watch. We've got to pray with expectation and hope that we will encounter those other people. Are we praying for opportunities? Are we praying for gospel opportunities? Praying for chances to meet those folks who will allow us to communicate the gospel with them? And then do we have eyes to see the opportunities that God gives us? 
Remember, we go all the way back to Acts 1, and, and Jesus said to them, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, right, and to the ends of the earth. I doubt in that moment that Peter and John said, I bet you Jesus is going to get us arrested so that we can proclaim the gospel to other people. That's probably not the way it went down. And yet, when they found themselves in that situation, what they said was, hey, there's a chance right here. The Holy Spirit came upon them, the Bible says, and they had a chance. And they spoke with power and truth. Folks, let me urge you this morning, don't miss the gospel. Don't miss the gospel. So are you prepared? Are you prepared? One saying that I like to use a lot is this one. In the middle of the storm is no time to stake the tent. In the middle of the storm is no time to stake the tent. I don't know if you've ever tried to catch a tent as it was flying away. It doesn't usually work well. We were at the beach several years ago. <clears throat> beach tents are the best, right? Uh, and those big umbrellas. And uh, somebody had taken their big umbrella and they'd put it in the ground and they put that little twisty thing in and they stuck the pole in, but they didn't do the little lock part. Y'all, that thing came out of there like a dart. Right? And it's just blowing down the beach. You, there's, it's, it's over with at that point. It's done turned inside out and sideways. These things can usually be avoided if we, if we stake the tent on the front end. But once you find yourself in the middle of the storm, it's... It's oftentimes too late. The damage has been done by the time you realize what's going on. In the middle of the storm is no time to take the tent, folks. <clears throat> Unfortunately, in the middle of your crisis or in the middle of your opportunity to minister in the midst of the crisis of others is a terrible time for you to try and get your mess together and stake your own tent. See, the reality is the best way for us to avoid wasting a crisis is to begin planning today for when the crisis arrives. Begin planning today for when the crisis arrives. Begin planning with recognition that crisis is going to bring clarity. You know that for other folks, when they find themselves in the midst of that crisis, they're going to suddenly have a very clear mind about the things that matter in their life. This is why people in hard times in their life are often open to the gospel because they begin to understand that these temporal things will wash away, but things that are of eternity, of, of, of eternity stay with us. They matter, and we cling to those. we got to always be prepared. And folks, always being prepared means always preparing. Always preparing. Y'all, we're preparing as we find ourselves practicing our spiritual discipline, spending time at the feet of Jesus, spending time in the presence of other believers. And the third this morning, just as we've just lived on over and over and over again, don't miss the gospel. Don't miss the gospel. So I ask you, are you prepared? Are you prepared? Are you prepared to share the hope of Jesus with others in the middle of their storm? If not, what's stopping you? Why are you not taking the necessary steps to get there? To be prepared, to prepare yourself. Some of you, 
however, aren't even prepared today for the storms in your own life. See, as I talk about storms, some of you are in the middle of one of those storms. And you just don't really know how to get out. You say, Craig, I completely understand because my tent is blowing away. And I can't seem to get it all under control. If that's where you are today, you need somebody to grab the ropes with you. You need somebody to help you. Folks, that somebody is Jesus. There is hope in Christ. You see, that same gospel that Peter proclaimed while under trial in Jerusalem is the same gospel that we preach day in and day out. There is salvation given no other name save for Jesus Christ. He is the hope of the world. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, can I tell you that He will give you hope and healing? Maybe you know full well what I was talking about earlier. You know what it is to know that things aren't right, but you don't know how to get them right. Maybe spiritually for you, you know that it's broken, but you hadn't figured out how to put the pieces together yet. He is our great physician. He brings hope and healing. He will restore you. This morning, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I would love the opportunity to pray with you, to help you take those next steps to become a follower of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus here today and you say, you know what, Craig, as I've listened, I recognize that I've not been prepared. Craig, I I recognize that oftentimes my gospel conversations have been loud conversations because I've been more interested in winning an argument than I have in winning a soul to Jesus. Perhaps, believer, you need to come today and pray. Some of you, however, may need to pray and repent because the truth of the matter is you've seen the crises running around you and you've just turned a blind eye because you've not desired to get involved in the mess of others. Folks, can I tell you The world needs followers of Jesus to step out into the mess, bring others along. Jesus stepped down from heaven to save us. And he calls on us to step toward others and bring them toward him. This morning, however the Lord may be working in your life, as we stand and as we sing, I encourage you to respond. I would love the opportunity to pray with you. Even to line you up with somebody else who could pray with you and minister to you. Help you to understand what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. As we sing this morning, would you respond? Let's stand together. Father in heaven, I thank you for loving us. I thank you for Jesus. Father, may we regularly be prepared and preparing. Father God, when the crisis in our life come, Lord God, will we look to Christ, the author and finisher of our faith? Father God, would we direct others toward you? that they may find hope and healing in their darkest days. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.